Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Welcome to our first Book Dreams bonus episode. I'm Julie Sternberg here, as always, with my co-host, Evie O'Hallam. And let me just say, right from the start, we have both had a bit of a rough stretch since we finished our regularly scheduled episodes of Book Dreams. I think it's possible we should have just kept going, Eve. Stopping might have brought me some bad luck. I don't know about bad luck, but I think rough stretch is definitely accurate. I had foot surgery the week of our final episode, and I think I lost my brain along with my bunion. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Both of my parents got sick, and I'm so happy to say that it looks like things have turned a corner, but for a while there, it was very, very hard to get my mind to settle. And there was a very narrow range of books that I could sink into. Yeah, same. I wish I could say it was the anesthesia and the opioids. But the truth is, I've been off painkillers for a couple of weeks now, and I'm only just starting to be able to think about reading anything the least bit challenging. Which brings us to the topic of this bonus episode, good books for hard times or what to read when you're barely able to read. (laughs) So you go first. What have you read these last several weeks and why were you able to read it? Okay. At first, all I could read were William Landay books. I don't know if you know him. No, I, I, <laughs> this is a name I've never even encountered. Say, well, tell, tell okay. more. Okay. Well, he wrote Defending Jacob. Did oh, you yeah, ever? totally. Yes. So I, that was a book I really loved about 10 years ago. And he has a brand new book that just came out called All That Is Mine I Carry With Me. It's his first book since Defending Jacob. He also wrote an earlier book called The Strangler which I bought a really long time ago and sat on a shelf, as I often do, and just completely forgot that I had. Okay, wait a minute. Can I interrupt (laughs) for one second? I just want to bring up that it's interesting to me that during these tough times, you're drawn to violent, dark, disturbing books. Because if you recall, in the early days of COVID quarantine, that's all you could read. Like the mm. bloodier and more violent. And <laughs> right? There was a cannibalism one, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> totally. So yeah. clearly this is your go-to. This it, it is your, is. your, it's your, a weird, your way of self-soothing. It's so strange. But anyway, um, during this particular rough stretch in my family's life, I read first The Strangler, then I read the new book, All That Is Mine I Carry With Me, and I reread Defending Jacob. So they ranged from good to better to truly great. The Strangler is good. It's set in 1963 in Boston. The Boston Strangler is on the loose. The book focuses on three brothers. One's a police officer with a gambling problem. One's a talented thief. And one is a really smart prosecutor. There's a lot of sibling tension, but they come together to try to find the Strangler. So this book was named one of the best crime novels of the year by the Los Angeles Times, The Guardian, and others. I would call it a perfectly decent crime novel. Mm -hmm. To me, the characters felt a little too familiar as types, and they never fully came to life for me as individuals. I do not mind having read it. It helped distract me, but I would not rush out and buy it again. Okay. Okay. Noted. Good. All That Is Mine I Carry With Me, the brand new book, it's better. In it, a woman goes missing when her youngest child is 10. Investigators suspect her husband, Dan, but they can't prove it. 
Their three children are left to be raised by Dan, their father, who might have murdered their mother. Did he do it? Did he not do it? The children have to decide whether to support him or accuse him. And Landa is good. He's very good at thinking through family dynamics and the psychological fallout of crime, especially on families. He's very interested in that. The story is told from several different perspectives, and it covers many decades. It's gripping. It raises interesting questions. It gels better than The Strangler, and I recommend it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But if you're only going to read one William Landay book, or even, I would say, one crime novel this year, read or reread Defending Jacob. This is just a flat-out great book. It has stood the test of time to me. Yes, maybe the depiction of women is not optimal. Maybe there are some changes in the way we view things, but... It's just, it's a great book. It's the story of a talented prosecutor, Andy Barber, who has a son and a wife he loves. Then one day, his son is accused of murdering another boy in his class. Andy loses his job as a prosecutor, and far worse, his family is torn apart. Mm -hmm. The whole story is told from Andy's perspective, and the voice in this book is so good. The ethical stakes are high and fascinating. Like, when do you allow yourself to question your own child's innocence? His son is denying that he did anything. The evidence is fairly damning, but it's not open and shut. You know, mm-hmm. What do you do? You really feel as a reader the tension that is building within this family, the pressure that's coming from the outside community. It's just great. And I also want to say, in case it hasn't been made abundantly clear in our many episodes of Book Dreams, you are a big reader of crime fiction. So for you to say that this is a book that is, you know, the crime novel to read of the year is very, very high praise. Yes. You know, of course, it suits my tastes, which is always, you know, we all know that reading is subjective, but I think it's a very high quality, gripping, fabulous crime novel. And so collectively, these three books were able to I guess, take you out of your difficult situation by putting you into a far worse situation. You have kind of a schadenfreude approach. (laughs) It was great. I will say um, I read a couple of other different kind, two other books that were helpful in different ways than the Landay books. One is a new release called Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. It's plot-driven, so it was very entertaining and distracting. It's kind of a soft satire of a very wealthy family living in Brooklyn Heights. There is nothing dark about it. There are a lot of love struggles, some class tensions, which are not happy, but they're not murder. You know, it's a fun and fast read that is better, I would say, than your average fun and fast read and was helpful, again, as a kind of distraction. Excellent. I am very happy to say, finally, that my mind is settling a bit, and I picked up Eddie Gloud Jr.'s Begin Again, James Baldwin's America and Its Urgent Lessons for Our Own. This book is blurbed by one of my favorite Book Dreams guests, Imani Perry, Mm. whom we spoke with in episode 125. She says, this book is precisely the witness we need for our treacherous times. Gloud says he's trying to, quote, think with Baldwin about this troubled period in American history, meaning our troubled period. Mm -hmm. The writing is engrossing and enlightening. And I've realized that although my instinct when I'm upset, as we've already discussed, is to go straight to really immersive narratives like crime novels that take me out of my situation and into a different world, 
it's also helpful for me to pick up books like Begin Again that are more focused on ideas. It's it's hard, right? It's harder mm-hmm. to enter into those books when I'm feeling unsettled in my life. But if I can bring my brain to them, I end up feeling more myself, more grounded in myself. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that is what I No, realized. I think it does. Okay. What about you? What have you been reading? Okay. I have two categories of books to recommend when you're in a situation where it's hard to read. The first category is series. I knew I was having this surgery for a long time and I had lists of movies and TV and books to read and things to do when you can't get off the couch. Um, And all I did for the first two or three weeks, I didn't watch any TV. I maybe watched one movie. All I did was read Louise Penny's The Mosh Series (laughs) books, one after the other, just compulsively. And here's why I think that series are perfect for moments like this. There are no hurdles. Once you read the first book, you know the world, you know the writer's style, you know the main characters. There's nothing to get used to. You just keep on going with a story and with people you've already decided that you like. So I think that's a big piece of it. And also it takes away that problem that we have sometimes of what should I read next? And there's none of that. Well, I think I want to read this and you try it. And then you realize, no, 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 my brain can't handle that right now. Or, oh God, that's sending me in a bad direction. There's just total comfort and an easy expectation. You just know it's going to be okay. Which is how I would characterize these novels in another sense too. Not that everything always works out neatly, but you know on a fundamental level that things are going to be okay. Um, Just a word about this series. Louise Penny wrote the first book in 2008, and she's written about a book a year ever since. I had sort of heard of them, and I don't know what took me so long to get around to reading them, because every time she writes one, it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. She's won tons of awards. It's not like these are, you know, like (laughs) hidden secret, like, oh, let me tell you about this series you've never heard of. But for whatever reason, it took me until now to get around to reading them. Um, They all center on a main character, Armand Gamache, He's from Quebec, so he's French-Canadian, and he is head of homicide for the Quebec police. And so each book is a different murder mystery, and many of the books, most of the books, take place in a town called Three Pines, which is like a Canadian brigadoon. It's beautiful, and people are kind to each other, and there are three big trees that dominate the town square. It's really just idyllic, except that there's quite a lot of murder that seems to happen there (laughs) over and over and over again. But but no matter how much murder there is, there's just an abundance of decency in Three Mm. Pines, which I think is maybe the most comforting thing about the book. And you have mainly the same cast of quirky, lovable characters, but nobody's all good or all bad, which I appreciate. Um, She spends a lot of time writing about place. You get a lot of description of the eastern townships of Quebec and the woods and the surrounding areas. And it's just beautiful. And there's a lot of food. So in the winter, people are drinking cocoa and in the summer, they're drinking lemonade and you can taste it and smell it. And you feel these brutal Canadian winters. Snow is a big deal in this book. A lot of scotch. Everybody's drinking scotch all the time. (laughs) Most of the time, I can't guess who did it. They're very classic mysteries. They're sort of Agatha Christie style where you suspect everybody by the time the story's over. But then, you know, it turns out to be one particular person. Um, They are flawed, of course, these books. There are times where things happen that 
you know, would just simply not happen. There's some fat shaming of a particular character. There's a lot of, you know, commentary on people's looks. I think she handles race in a very superficial way. So these are not perfect books. And the first book she wrote in the series was also the first book she wrote. So I actually think that the writing gets better as they go along. Mm -hmm. All that being said, one of the things I love most about the books is they're very philosophical. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of exploration of what makes a life worth living, what is satisfying about life. There's a lot of going deep into people's hearts. You don't often get that with murder mysteries. They're usually you would know better than I, but in my experience, much more plot driven, especially for crime novels. I think these are quite interior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never thought I would say this, Eve, but I'm feeling a tiny bit jealous of your surgery. <laughs> I know it's been painful <laughs> and terrible and has kept you inside for weeks, but I can't remember a time when I felt like, since my childhood, when I felt like I could just sit here and, and read, I think there are 18 books in that series, something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, there are 18. You know, I came to them as an adult and I haven't had a stretch of time like that. And I've read them, not all 18. I've read a few here and there. I read the one that came out most recently, but I'm going back to that time when I used to read, sit down and read all of the Bopsy Twin books. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. There's a certain heaven to that. Absolutely. The other category of books I recommend for times like these are novellas, short fiction, because, you know, when you can't concentrate, it's easier if you're reading a book that's 100 pages than if you're reading a book that's 300 pages. Also, short fiction, I think, tends to be a little simpler. There just isn't room for a whole lot of subplots and confusing, you know, bits. So I really recommend novellas, and I've read a few that I've really enjoyed. The first one I'll mention is called Ogres, and it's by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Have you ever heard of him? You know, only because Ezra Klein recently interviewed him. Oh, did you know that? No, I did yeah. not know that. My son Joe had read Ogres, and he told me he thought I would really like it. So I read it on Joe's recommendation, and... I thought it was really terrific. And I hate to tell you about one writer by comparing him to another, but I'm going to do it anyway. He has kind of a Helen Oyoyemi vibe. And, mm -hmm. you know, we love Helen Oyoyemi. Yeah. So if you like Helen Oyoyemi, you're going to like Adrian Tchaikovsky. <laughs> <laughs> ogres is, it's a dystopian fairy tale. It's a world where ogres rule the world, but they're not ogres like you see sometimes in fairy tales or like in Harry Potter, where they're just giant creatures that are you know, half brain dead. These ogres have perfect intelligence and they're very large and domineering and have gigantic appetites, including sometimes appetites for human beings. And so this is a world with ogres and humans and then animals. And it's recognized, it's definitely the planet Earth, but ogres rule the world and humans are oppressed. Humans are doing all of the productive work of the economy and ogres get all of the economic benefit as well as use from almost everything that humans make and do. The story centers around one human whose name is Torquil. And what's interesting is it's told in the second person, which I think is usually a bad idea in fiction. Mm -hmm. In this idea, it works beautifully. We don't find out who the narrator is until basically the last page of the book. So I won't spoil it. But the narrator tells us from the very beginning that Torquil is our hero and really reinforces that this is going to be a hero's journey, a hero's tale. 
but the second person is addressed to Torquil. Mm -hmm. And so it has this effect of almost being accusatory. Mm -hmm. You did this, and then you thought this, and then you did this, and then you went here. And that's a really interesting tension. Mm -hmm. That was something I really liked about the story. So I highly recommend it. Um, and it's 100 pages. So how can you go yeah, wrong? Yeah, lovely. Have you read the Claire Keegan novellas that have become so popular recently? It's so funny that you said that because, yes, another book that I read recently was Foster, which was just beautiful. Yes. She has another one out. I highly recommend both of these. They're just so slender. But after you've read them, you just feel like the universe is so much bigger. The other one is called Small Things Like These. I'll have to read that next. Foster is definitely a novel that takes you deep and it leaves you with a lot to ponder and it leaves you with questions. Her writing is very spare and yeah. very beautiful. Oh, and we should give a tiny plot summary if you're interested in reading this. It takes place, it's not a specified time period, but we think it's maybe in the 1980s in Ireland. And it's all about a young girl. Her family is very, very poor. And she's sent to live with people she's never met before, a couple who don't have children. And really trying to decide what to say without giving away too much. What, what would you say about it? I'm not doing a good job. I think I would just say that her experience there changes her life. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. The other short fiction I read recently, I read on your recommendation. Um, mm -hmm. You had said, I'm trying to remember, was it one of the best things you've ever read in your life? Or the <laughs> something? It's very, very good. You had yeah. some faint praise for it. So I decided to read <laughs> it. And that was Happening by Annie Erno. It's a memoir. And it's an account of an illegal abortion that she had when she was in her early 20s in the 1960s in France. And that too is really powerful and a must read. Absolutely. I think we've given folks some nice recommendations to read in good times and bad. I think so too, but can I just <laughs> add one tiny thing? Sure. The TV series that's now out about Three Pines sucks. So, <laughs> so <laughs> if you've tried it, don't let it turn you off from the books. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. And, and I'm going to say that is it for this Book Dreams bonus episode. We always love hearing from you. Please let us know what you find yourself reading in rough stretches or just what you're reading and loving now. You can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find me at eveyohallam.com and Julie at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julian.